Welcome back to our Trek Through the Holy Week podcast. We've moved ourselves now through the week to Friday. It's often referred to as Good Friday. Yeah, Good Friday is the day where Jesus was crucified. So this is a very central day. We talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus as these sort of pivotal um, parts and the central point of his ministry in life. So we see Good Friday and Easter as this sort of package on this weekend that are really the, the central climax of Jesus' story. Well, one of the things that's interesting as we're getting ready to get into the events and talk about what happens on Good Friday, I'd like to relay a story. Uh, when I was coaching middle school soccer, probably probably about 20 years ago, and uh, we were having practice. I had young girls, and we were, they were about 7th and 8th grade girls, and we're running around in the field. And before we, we started the actual practice, I reminded everybody uh, that we were not going to have any practice this coming Friday because we had no school. And the uh, one of the girls piped up and said, well, why don't we have school on Friday? And one of the other girls, before I could say anything, was that, well, it's Good Friday, and so we don't have any school. And so then we started scrimmaging, and we're running around the field. And uh, so this girl that had no idea we had the day off finally said, so why is it called Good Friday? And I said, well, that's the day that uh, Jesus died, and the Christian church remembers that. And then she stopped dead in her tracks and said, well, that doesn't sound so good. And so I'm thinking, okay, how am I going to explain this uh, clearly so for this public school uh, soccer player can understand it without missing a beat? The girl that had said, well, it's Good Friday, she said, well, that's the day Jesus died so that we can go to heaven. And then all of a sudden, this other girl that had no religious background said, I guess that sounds pretty good. <laughs> so I, I have to admit that every time we talk about Good Friday, say Good Friday, I, I have to think back to that story where this girl had no idea uh, about Holy Week or Friday of Holy Week. But uh, this other girl at the same time, she had this great explanation. Well, because he died, we get to go to heaven. And all of a sudden that made sense. So I love to call it Good Friday and remember that story from a little while ago when I was coaching. Yeah, it's good because it's for you. It's not good because of the events. It's a lot of evil things. Um, it's a lot of darkness. And it should. it's something that should be sobering and somber. That's, that's right. But we call it good for a reason. Because ultimately, um, even under all that suffering and death, is God's plan moving forward. And that is good for, for us. Well, it can get a little confusing uh, as we go through the day because there are a series of trials that Jesus goes through, and it can be very confusing. Which trial is this? Who's he before? Uh, but basically, there's six different trials that Jesus is somehow being put on as we go through the events of late night, uh, Monday, Thursday, into the day of Good Friday. Yeah, there's these different trials with the Sanhedrin, and then the fourth trial is before Pilate. He has a fifth trial where he goes before Herod, who would be uh, have authority over Galilee, and then he's back to Pilate again for a sixth trial. So he's Jesus is just getting hustled all over the place by he's getting taken place to place by soldiers and guards. He's being beaten as it goes in multiple different times as well. He's physically exhausted as well as just being thrown before all these different leaders. And there's a lot of debate about what really to do with Jesus. Um, obviously, the the Sanhedrin wants him dead. Uh, the They want to get rid of him. Pilate's not really sure what to do with him. It seems like he kind of wants to get rid of responsibility. And Herod just sort of thinks the whole thing's kind of a joke, it seems like. He kind of makes fun of Jesus and then sends him back to Pilate. So it's 
it's really, Jesus is just getting pushed all over the place during these trials and the suffering that began with his, his praying in the garden is continuing. Like I said, he's been beaten, um, but then he is especially after his final trial, he is scourged by the Roman soldiers, he's mocked by them, he's given a crown of thorns. So this suffering is a big part. He suffered and died um, under Pontius Pilate. Well, it's also the humiliation of realizing that here is the very Son of God, he is sinless, uh, he has only come into the world on our behalf. He has come to proclaim the kingdom of God is like he has been preaching, he's been teaching all these wonderful miracles. And then when Pilate puts him up before the crowd, and who will you have? Barabbas, who is a, a murderer, a terrorist, so to speak, is the way we would describe him, or do you want Jesus? And uh, the crowd, of course, uh, incensed by the Sanhedrin, realizing it's not the same crowd that was there on Palm Sunday entering him into Jerusalem. But what are they? They're, they're prodded and all they cry, well, they want Barabbas, they want Barabbas, they want Barabbas. And so this murderer, this thief, this terrorist, he gets uh, set free. And now, now Pilate's like, okay, now what do I do with this guy? And so what do you want me to do? And that's where we hear this crowd now crying out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And how difficult that would have been realizing that here is the very son of God and what is the crowd calling for? They're calling for his death. Yeah, it's it's what happens when God really comes face to face with humans. Well, they, they kill him. That's what happens and that's where the story goes is that they uh, don't want anything to do with him. Jesus comes to proclaim God's, God's rule and reign and he's rejected. That's a really big part of his humiliation. And then we also get this side note. We've talked about Judas throughout the week, but then we see Judas's tragic end. And in some ways, uh, we we didn't talk about this yesterday, but we we it's worth mentioning that Peter, another one of the disciples, in a sense betrays Jesus too. He doesn't betray him to the Sanhedrin, but he he uh, famously denies Jesus three times, and the the rooster crows early in the morning, and he uh, is filled with guilt and shame. Well. So Peter and Judas in some ways are in, in similar places, having rejected and lost their Lord, and yet there's different responses. Judas gives in to despair, and Peter does not. And Peter is Peter's path leads to restoration and reconciliation later, and Judas does not. Well, and it, it's a very graphic portion. Again, we've talked about as we've gone through the Old Testament, through our trek through the Scriptures, how certain portions of Scripture are a little bit more R-rated, not G-rated. But the description of what happens to Judas as he hangs himself and the result of his hanging and, and his body and so forth is, is very graphic. But nevertheless, it shows the sad end to the fate of where his sin has led him to. Yeah, it's the end result of despair with no hope, with no gospel. Um, there is, there's a, a place where when you feel the weight of your sin, if you're not met with um, the promise that can pull you into repentance, then that just spirals. Um, and in the tragic case of Judas, it spiraled to his, um, to his death, to taking his own life. So now we find Jesus after all this beating, after all the whipping, uh, the humiliation of the crown of thorns and everything that goes with it. Now he has to uh, bear his cross, very heavy, very large, up to Golgotha, the place of the skull, uh, for his crucifixion. And of course, there's side notes 
to the story here. Uh, there is uh, Simon who's called to help him carry the cross, which is a significant part of the story. Uh, there is also the sadness as he looks out to the crowd and says, do not weep for me, weep for your own children. So there are events that that bring to mind uh, as Jesus continues to have his concern for those to whom he has been called, but ultimately he ends up now onto the cross. And every Friday, Good Friday, as we come together during Holy Week, uh, we are reminded of the people as the people of God of the seven last words that Jesus uh, says from the cross and the significance as it draws to a conclusion, to an apex, so to speak, of his ministry. Yeah, those seven different sayings, and they come from different gospels. So the different gospels all record different parts of this, um, of the crucifixion. But there's these kind of seven different things, and they're all very significant in their own ways. Jesus says of those who have crucified him, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Um, he says to the thief on the cross uh, that is that is repentant, the repentant thief, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. He speaks to his mother uh, and the, the the apostle John, who's actually the only disciple that makes his way to the cross. Uh, Woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. He, he creates this relationship, so his mom's going to be taken care of. He cries out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which parallels the words of, of Psalm 22. He's quoting scripture there. He um, he says, I thirst. It's kind of a simple one, but Jesus was thirsty. And it that shows also, his human nature, of yeah, course. It, it shows his human nature, and it, that also fulfills some scripture as well. And then the the last two words of Jesus are, it is finished, and into your hands I commit my spirit. These kind of closing words as then Jesus finally takes his last breath. And what's very interesting, uh, one of the Gospels also records the reality that a non-Jew, uh, a Roman centurion, as he looks on all the events that have happened through the week, as he has probably been a, a part of some of these trials before Pilate, and now as he's out overlooking his crucifixion, his reaction after it's all said and done, surely this man was the Son of God. And it's very interesting how all these supposed part of the faithful and the chosen, all good riddance, we've gotten rid of this man, and yet this non-Jew, uh, this pagan, so to speak, as it's all laid before him, surely this man was the son of God. There's a lot of other events surrounding Jesus' death. The sky goes dark. There's um, loud sounds. There's the, uh, the the curtain of the temple tears in two. So there's some other significant events that you will hear about as we read through these stories in the different gospels. But then Jesus dies. And Jesus dies actually relatively quickly for a crucifixion. Crucifixions were notoriously long-lasting because you're essentially dying from lack of oxygen because of the position you're hanging in. But Jesus died relatively quickly to the point that the, the soldiers were actually surprised. And then he is, he is taken down from the cross on the request of a couple of figures that go and ask Pilate. And Joseph of Arimathea has an empty grave, one that's never been used, and that's the grave 
that then Jesus is laid into. There, there's not a lot of prep time. Normally there would be preparation of the body. And the reason for that is it's uh, getting near sundown and that begins a new day, the beginning of the Passover and uh, the Sabbath. And they didn't have time to truly prepare the body like they would have normally, which we'll find out later the significance of that. But Joseph lays him in his own personal grave. So he he's not put in the potter's field. He's not put off where the normal thieves and robbers, but he's in an actual grave. And that would be Joseph of Arimathea. So as we're celebrating and reflecting on this day, there's a few different ways that traditionally that these services have been done. So there's there's two different names that you might hear, uh, the Treor service or a Tenebrae service. Now, the Treor service is basically seven smaller, shorter services put together over a three-hour period. And uh, we have one of those that we celebrate every year at our sister congregation, Messiah in Mandan. And then uh, the Tenebrae service is a service of lights. And again, looking at the seven last words, as the church gets darker and darker and darker and darker, uh, realizing that at the very end of the Tenebra service, the closing and slamming of the door, signifying the, the slamming shut of the grave, and then also as the... Uh, Christ candle, which departed, is now brought back in, and then we prepare and get ready for uh, ultimately the Easter celebration. Now, one of the things that's also interesting to note now that we're at Good Friday, in the traditional church, the Monday-Thursday service, the Good Friday service, and the Saturday service the is, is seen as one service. And so that means that at the end of the Monday-Thursday service, the altar is stripped and prepared, and there's no benediction. And then on Good Friday, again, no benediction. And then on Saturday or Easter morning, sunrise, depending upon what the church celebrates, uh, that's where the final benediction is. So it's uh, traditionally in the church, the Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Saturday service, they were seen as one long continuous service. And so there was not a benediction till the very end. And so, yeah, you see how all of these things tie together. There's a reason we've had this trek through Holy Week to kind of reflect on the different events of each day, because it all ties together and it's all one unit that all leads towards the the big um, finale, which is going to be coming on Easter Sunday. But first, we have one more day. We have the, the, the day where Jesus lays in the tomb. And so we'll talk about that tomorrow as we reflect on Holy Saturday.